Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. I am so excited for today's topic. Today I'm talking to former special education teacher and board certified behavior analyst Kim Bender, who is a school-based BCBA. And the whole world of being a school-based BCBA is something we've really not talked about on the podcast before. And I know there are so many teachers that have moved into this role and so many teachers that are currently becoming BCBAs who maybe hope to have a role like this. There's also a newer role in a lot of schools. And as Kim and I chatted there, we've talked about how there are more and more BCBAs working for school districts. So Kim shares what her role looks like and some of the big challenges to being a school-based clinician. She also shares a lot of the great things that come with this role, how she gets to work with so many different types of clinicians and students and teachers and how she's really just being a teacher, but at a bigger scale. We also talked about some of the big differences between moving from the classroom to a clinician role and also how to best collaborate with BCBAs in your district. If you are a teacher and you currently have a BCBA in your district, what's the best approach to take when working with them? So we cover a lot. I had so much fun during this interview. I could have like kept chatting with Kim and asking her more questions because there's so many things to talk about. So I hope you really enjoy this interview and learn a lot about what this role entails and how this role can best be utilized in a school setting. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Sasha. Thanks for having me. So I am excited to talk about being a school-based BCBA, and I realize that we've really never done any podcast episode on this. And 
there are more and more school-based BCBAs. So this is definitely something we have to be talking about. Yes, I agree. There's so much you can talk about with this topic. And I think it's a role that is becoming more and more popular in school districts um, instead of contracting out. So I'm really excited to talk about it today. And I talked to a lot of teachers too that are going back to school for ABA that want to become BCBAs and stay in the school. So a lot of people are kind of looking towards this role also. So this hopefully might inspire some people to move in the, that direction. Yes. I Each year now, for the last few years, I've had multiple teachers or school personnel be trainees that I'm supervising for BCBA. So I definitely see that in my school district as well. There's more and more of that are looking for that supervision and that coursework too. And I kind of love, I love that you're doing that. I love that trainees are getting supervision in the schools because for me, and I don't know how it was when you were getting your supervision, I had a really hard time getting supervision in the school setting because there's so many opportunities in clinic or in home and that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I wanted supervision in the setting I was going to be working in and it's hard. It is, yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to have my... BCBA at the time, I worked for an intermediate unit, provide my supervision. So I got really lucky. But so many people who reach, who reach out to me that are not in the schools or want to be in the schools really struggle to find that that supervision. Um, so it's, you know, I, I love it's it's kind of an extra role, but I love being able to do it because you can get they can get such good hands on experience um, and really see all aspects of what it's like to be a school-based BCBI, which is great. Yeah. And I think you get a lot when you're in that role. I had um, supervisees when I was in the, still in the school setting and they were like, oh my gosh, we, we just can see like every type of student, every type of training situation because there's just so many kids. It's like, oh, you want to so work on this? Many. I, I got a kid <laughs> for you. Like, so there's like a lot <laughs> that you can work on at one time versus, you know, an in-home, you might only have a handful of clients. You get such a broad range of, so many different types of learners, you know, different service providers. I mean, you really, there, there's a lot going on in school. So you really get, it's, it's really broad experience. Yeah. So what does your role look like as a school BCBA right now? So every year in my school district, it's changed. And it really kind of changes depending on the needs of our classroom. So, you know, during COVID, obviously for everyone, we needed a lot more support for some of our specialized classrooms or our students that had, you know, higher support needs and really just depends on our schools. So we have changed every year and I'm, I'm sure it's different in every school setting too, depending on the number of BCBAs they may have, um, the type of district. So, but overall um, we have a lot of different roles and responsibilities that were utilized in my district. We have four BCBAs right now, which is really exciting because we've grown a lot in the last, you know, six years that I've been with this district. There used to just be one, then two, and then they've really seen the value in having that role. So we've just grown from there. But with that comes, we do everything from all of the functional behavior assessments, part of a, you know, evaluating teams or reevaluations for students. We also look at the incoming early intervention students that might already be receiving behavior support in the preschool setting. We do those FBAs and evaluations too. Um, so it's like March Madness right now <laughs> with all of that hitting at once. Um, but we write the behavior plans that would go along with the FBA and then become part of that student's IEP. 
um, you know, for every learner and student, it's different, but we have some level of consultation then that goes in that student's IEP if they have a positive behavior support plan. Um, so we help provide training for all the staff um, and, and team members for that team. We'll help with formulating the IEP goals, data collection, analyzing the data and progress monitoring throughout that student's IEP year, attending all the IEP meetings. Um, and then we do usually provide a higher level of weekly consultation for any students in our specialized classrooms that might have more high support needs and, you know, autistic support, emotional support, or our classrooms like that. We, we make sure we go there, you know, half to one full day per week to provide a higher level of training for, our, for those team members. We also support our child study team process. So some districts have might have, you know, MTSS or multi-tiered systems of supports where students, you know, that may be not responding to the general class-wide curriculum or instruction that might need more support academically or behavior may go to our CST team process. So we go to as many of those meetings as we can for students where there's behavior concerns. So we can do some observations or recommend some strategies class-wide um, environmental, you know, changes, things like that, that can support that student. Um, professional development on, you know, PD days. My district's unique in that I don't think a lot of districts do this, but the teacher start time starts 30 minutes prior. So their first 30 minutes is actually supposed to be PD time. So it gives us some flexibility on you know, creating mini PDs and trying as much as we can in between meetings to schedule PDs throughout the month in the buildings we support. So we can, you know, try to disseminate a lot more frequently than waiting for those few PD days you get a school year, um, which can be hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it gives the teachers a lot of opportunity to learn more, gain more knowledge in different areas. Um, And then we also, you know, we help with Skill acquisition. So if, you know, assessments like VBMAP, Essentials for Living, the PEAK assessment, academic curriculum-based assessments, we can help with some modifications or if a student's, you know, maybe not making progress, what can we do differently skill acquisition-wise, you know, behavior skills, training for social skills, supporting how to improve executive functioning skills, um, DI curriculum. So, really looking to at not just challenging behavior or crisis level behavior, but also replacement behavior instruction and academic instruction and really helping to support those skills. So we do a lot with that as well. And then again, um, the supervision too. So we have some RBTs in our district now. We provide supervision for any trainees that are looking to pursue BCBA or in their coursework I have um, usually two, around two at a time that I'm providing supervision for as well. So we have a lot of different roles. I was going to say, so just a few things, my goodness. (laughs) I I feel like that led into this next question really well. So what are some of the challenges of this role and having so many responsibilities on your plate? You know, you can, you know, probably see that it's that management of, you know, I feel like I have an internal struggle a lot of days of, do I, you know, write this FBA? Do I, am I writing this plan and analyzing this data? Or do I really need to be 
in person, pushing in, providing this hands-on training. And each day I kind of struggle with, you know, I have a caseload right now over 60 for just IEP students. So with behavior plans, and that doesn't, you know, that doesn't include the number of evaluations I might be in the process for FBAs I'm doing or the CST meetings. Um, So it really is, there's a lot to balance and manage over, you know, trying to get in that mindset that, you know, you're doing everything that you can and to not, you know, beat yourself up a little bit if you feel like, you know, well, I'm behind on those special ed timelines or evaluation paperwork, but I've really been nailing my, you know, in-person training and teachers really feel supported. And then the next week it might be, well, all my stuff's on time, but people are probably like, where is Kim? (laughs) I haven't seen her this week. (laughs) So it's that balance. Is it hard to balance the kind of, you know, you had talked about like all the FBAs and, and helping support challenging behaviors, but also the skill acquisition side, you know, obviously those behaviors have such like a crisis, you know, time sensitivity prioritization there, because if we're talking about extreme behaviors, obviously those rise to the top of importance, but then, yeah, you want to make time for the skill acquisition and assessment piece as well. Is it hard to balance like those two sides? Yes. And I wrote, um, and then, if you have multiple school buildings, you may only be in that one building for, let's say, a day, two days a week. Um, so when you're there, I, I wrote a post a little while back about, you know, I'm not a crisis interventionist, right? Like we're sometimes looked at like, well, I ha- do have this student with really intense behaviors. And we know that in order to support those behaviors, it's the instruction, it's the instruction with the skill deficits, the replacement behaviors, the preventative strategies, everything you're doing to prevent, teach, reinforce. Responding to crisis all day long is not where we're going to be most helpful, but it's also not what's helpful for anybody in that situation. But I have to understand when I'm walking into the building and they are the ones on the front line supporting this Monday through Friday, I'm here and it's like, well, you know, let me tap out for a minute and let me see how she responds because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're looked at at the expert for behavior, which sometimes people think we're this expert in crisis. And even though I train a lot of our staff in um, crisis prevention strategies, that's really not what our background is. Um, And our time is, you know, best spent with helping teams develop how you prevent and you teach and you reinforce all these great things. Um, So I find that balance really hard because I want them to feel supported and I, you know, but then I could spend a day responding to crisis and I didn't get to train. I didn't get to go back and look at the plan over, here's what we really need to be looking at. You guys, this is what we need to be teaching this. Let me model for you how it should look. Some days I don't get to that. So that balance is really hard if you're not there very frequently. Yeah. And I think I'm hoping, you know, as, as a field, as we're in schools more and more, that there is that shift from the mindset of like, oh, you're just here to like help deal with the crisis situation. Because when you have such a small amount of VCBAs in a district, yeah, that you're going to be putting out fires all day. Like that's all you can do. But as hopefully we increase our roles in schools across the country, yes, we need to help put out fires, but also we have to, we have to prevent the fires. And that's where, like you said, we're going to have the most impact. And, and hopefully that mindset shift is is changing. You know, I, I was thinking as you're talking, I went to an IEP. This was now probably like four years ago, maybe. And I sat down and the superintendent and the director, director of special ed were like, why is there a BCBA here? He doesn't have any, he doesn't have a behavior plan or challenging behaviors. Mm-hmm. And I was coming 
kind of from the in-home side. And I was like, yeah, but that's not what I'm working on. Like we're working only on skill acquisition in home. And they, I was like, God, the director of special ed doesn't even know this. Like, really? Right. Like, you know, like, and it's a great school district, not like it's, you know, somewhere that has low resources. And it's still that perception of like, oh, no, you're here for the behavior plan. And that's it. Yes. I have been told to stay in my lane, which is now kind of a running joke with people that I'm really close <laughs> with in my district. Because by parents and by like some other employees, sometimes like, we're not, we're talking about, if we're not talking about problem behavior, like your voice is, is not need to be heard. And it's like, well, you know, we view everything as a behavior, their academic learning, their progress on these academics, like how we're teaching them these communication skills, replacement behavior skills, all of that we serve a purpose in. But until, you know, I think, and we have seen a big shift. I think that when you, the more behavior support you get, the more you can disseminate, the more your teachers and your administrators get to know you and your role and what, you know, all the different areas you can be valuable with, you do start to see a shift. And we've seen that a lot in our district. We used to be the only ones who ran social skills instruction. And I was like, well, this is great. This is really fun. I still get to work with kids, but then I'm missing all the, you know, consultation for behavior plans and things like that. We can definitely teach teachers how to use behavior skills training more you know, to embed in their social skills instruction and make them feel really comfortable about implementing this because it should be, you know, happening daily or mm-hmm. embedded in the day and not just, you know, here's your social skills teacher one day every, you know, other week to provide this instruction. We've seen such a shift, you know, just being able to carry that over and and utilize those tools to help teach our teachers that we just, you know, every now and then I have a consultation on social skills, but for the most part, our teachers are running them. They're doing such a great job implementing those skills more regularly and feel a lot more confident. So I do think with time and continuing to disseminate um, over and over and over again, that shift definitely starts to happen. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And you know, you like when you said staying in your lane, I've, I've thought about this quite a bit because I think the role of a school-based BCBA as a clinician is very different than the role of other clinicians on the IEP team. And that like sometimes is, I think, a source of of friction and conflict because the OT and the PT and the SLP have these like historic lanes that they've stayed in, right? Like they provide services on these skills and set these types of goals and everyone knows what they're supposed to do. And the school-based BCBA is a newer role and it's unfamiliar and it's messy and blurry because it, it bleeds into social skills and skill acquisition and negative behaviors and positive behaviors because it's all behavior so it's like whoa 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 where's your little bucket 
And, and I think that can be a source of conflict too on the IEP teams. It is. And that was one of my challenges is that our role has so much to do with how you teach, your environment that you set up. It is really different than the, you know, the skill set sometimes of our occupational therapists or speech and language therapists, even though the environment and how you teach is so important there, it is viewed a little bit differently. And sometimes it's a challenge if a teacher, you know, if you don't have a good defined role in that way, or they're not, they're not really sure of what your role is or how you can help, it can come across that, you know, that you're just telling me what to do, or you're telling me what I need to do differently, or what I'm doing is wrong, and what I need to change, and you're not focusing on the student. You're not just pulling out the student and trying to, you know, fix the student for lack of better words, but Mm -hmm. you're just, you know, you're really looking at the environment and what needs to be different. And sometimes that's a challenge with so many different personalities, different team members. Um, Everyone has different backgrounds and different levels of expertise in our area or our field that it can be a really big challenge. And you just, you know, to figure out all right, how do I need to build skills with, you know, with this team or with this teacher? Um, you know, what, you know, what, are there lagging skills to implement some of the things I want them to implement? Or are they really like people that are kind of anti-reward reinforcement people and they're not going to have motivation to implement what I'm asking them to implement um, because they have their own beliefs or values. So, you know, coming in in our role where it is really so much about how you teach your students, how you set up the environment, what foundational things you have in place in your classroom, it can get really messy. Um, and there isn't that clear cut, you know, I, you do this, you'll get this result. It's, you know, it's very dependent upon, you know, that learner and their learner history and the classroom environment. So it definitely gets messy. And I think you just have to really value, um, which kind of goes into my next challenge, like, is those ethical dilemmas. You have to really build those relationships. But I'll never forget, I went to a school-based, more school-based ethical training for BCBAs at a conference. And she talked about how our clients often change. Like, you know, in a clinical-based setting or a different setting, your client may be the learner. In our school-based setting, oftentimes the client is a teacher, a service provider, um, a special education teacher, you know, it's, it's really the school team because we're providing consultative services. So going to things like school functions, you know, that sunshine, you know, throws here and there, baby showers, you know, happy hours, events, school events, things like that, that they might be hosting. You could be now having a multiple relationship and you should really avoid them. I remember being like, well, if you've been in education your whole life, like those things are very important things to attend to get to know teachers and build relationships and, you know, get to know people and connect with them. Because just like we know about, you know, our students, if you don't have that connection and you don't have that relationship, they are not going to really care that I'm coming in their classroom here and there and giving strategies or recommendations on things that require behavior change on their part or a classroom change on their part. I have to get that buy-in. So what do you mean you're telling me that I shouldn't go to these school events? And if if we're viewing that, I love this. I love talking about ethical dilemmas. I used to I like love getting into it. But I I so agree with you. And if we're viewing as like the teacher or the IP team as our client, then going to the baby shower, the happy hour is pairing. Like we have to pair. Like we have to. 
And I think, unfortunately, not to like overgeneralize, but I've just met too many BCBAs and not always that are school-based BCBAs. Sometimes it's in-home that are coming into the school to help and support that like totally miss that step. And then they come in, they give their list of ideas or suggestions and whoever's receiving those lists or suggestions, you know, the classroom teacher is like, well, who are you? Get out of here. Like, I don't like you. Like, I have no rapport. I have no, there's no mutual respect going on. Good day and goodbye. And it goes in one ear and out the other. And the prop, the bigger problem too, is that now in that teacher's learning history is, oh, those BCBAs, I don't like them. And it's like, oh no. (laughs) Yeah. And we can't have that. Like that you, not right now when like behavior support and, you know, helping students is is so important right now. We're seeing so many increases in behaviors school-wide that it's, I need these people to see the value in me. And if I'm not getting to know them, I'm not, if I'm not investing in, you know, getting to know what their preference is. I do my own little mini preference assessments with teachers in the beginning of the year. And sometimes they're informal. No one really knows what I'm doing, but just asking them, what's your best time? Are you a person that likes to have lunch dates over your lunch and chat? Do you prefer your prep? Do you like morning times? Um, You know, what, what's your style? Do you like consult notes when we're done? Do you like seeing the things written out? Do you love resources? Do you like hands-on training or do you want recurring meetings on the calendar to meet with me, like getting to know, you know, in, and their favorite drinks, snacks, things like that, like just getting to know them as their personality and what they prefer in their role as a teacher and collaboration. You have got to build that and and build this relationship because we know, we all know how it feels if you've been a teacher before, or you're in any kind of role in education, when you just have this person, whether it's an administrator or, you know, another provider coming to you, telling you what to do and you don't have any rapport with them. It It's hard when your to-do list is so long and now there's another thing someone's telling me. You're definitely not going to get that buy-in or do it if you don't have this relationship. Um, I love and you don't that find the value. Pre- I love that informal preference assessment. That is such a great way to put it. And like to actually like, and I'm, I'm assuming too that you're like writing this down if you have all these staff members to to work with, you're not remembering that, you know, Sarah down the hall in third grade said she prefers email and she likes to talk in the morning. Like you have to write those things down. And that's such a great way to kind of figure out, yeah, preferences, reinforcers, and then you're going to have a much more ideal schedule, I'm assuming. Yes. And like I keep them in a little binder. So, you know, you've got to keep all of that organized. So, you know, because everybody is so different and we have to adjust to that because we need to be viewing them as our clients and utilizing, you know, those same principles that that we would with our learners. Because, again, you know, we know that that's what works. And then you're going to get that approach behavior and you're going to get that teacher that wants to reach out to you and for help um, and for strategies and set up those meetings with you. Um, so you need that relationship to do that. But those ethical dilemmas like that and your caseload size and I always call them drive-bys, but when that teacher stops you in the hallway and that's like, <laughs> I got this kid and I don't know what to do. Well, you know, my ethics tells me that I should not be doing this without an assessment and observation, consent, you know, all of these things, but you have this teacher in need. So it's navigating. I, again, I want to I want to come across as helpful and approachable to all my staff in my building. But, you know, you've got that little ethics on your shoulder, like, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. You have some dilemmas here. And we could, you could have a whole session on school-based ethics. But, yeah. it's, you know, it's definitely a challenge in trying to be mindful of it, but also 
just be human and and yeah. help these people that really need help. I mean, you could, I mean, I don't want to like go off on too many tangents on ethics because I really, <laughs> really could. Because um, I have a lot of like opinions on this because I, you know, I was actually just, this is such a, like this week I was talking to my brother and I was explaining something about our ethical code and this and that. He's not part of the special ed or ABA world at all. And I was saying even, you know, how there's controversy over even taking a drink of water at someone's house. And he was like, no. And I was like, yeah, there is. Like, if should you at an in-home client's? take a drink of water. And I was like, I've totally as an RBT, it wasn't called an RBT back then, broken every ethical guideline because one of my main in-home clients was had, we were there all the time. I spent so much time at that house. The mom was lovely. During every meeting we have, she would buy bagels. She would have it all set up. Not eating a bagel would have been rude. Like she had gone out of her way. Like we're teaching her son to communicate and use the toilet and be a member of the family. She was beyond grateful. Like for Christmas, she had him ask with his AAC device which each therapist's favorite color was and got us monogrammed tote bags. I'm not going to not take the tote bag. Like, you know, but like in that moment and then later learning, oh my God, I broke all these ethical guidelines. I was like, Mm -hmm. I would have hurt my relationship with this family more than I was creating a dual relationship by accepting that gift. And that's where like, you have to use those guidelines you know, know them and have that, have that conversation in your head of like, is this doing something? What is the purpose of this? Is this creating a dual relationship and how can I avoid this? But also at the end of the day, how can I still best serve my clients? Yeah. And in education, parents love giving out gifts. Yes. Like there are, there are yes. Christmas gifts, you know, you know, it's when the it's norm. teacher it's week, part of the culture. The yeah. norm. And if you're really involved in that IEP team, you're getting looped right in there with that gift card or, you know, that coffee or that breakfast that they bring in. And, you know, I'm not going to put that. And sometimes I don't get those gifts until after Christmas. Like if I was not at that school at that week before, and there's these things sitting in the, in my mailbox, I mean, for me to sit there and return all of those (laughs) things in someone's folder or backpack two weeks after Christmas, you know, when they really value you as part of the team and this is their way to show you that they appreciate you. I'm just, you know, again, like you said, it's a guideline and it's something we really need to be cognizant of. But sometimes in school base, it just really is a different beast. And education is, is you got to adapt to that. Yeah. And, and that environment. To, like, apply the guidelines. They're like, they're, they're there to guide our decisions, not like dictate our decisions. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes that's a little bit of the difference. And yeah, that things are going to be, I mean, what a great course in like college to have school ethics. Like that would be amazing because there is so many different contingencies at play versus more of a traditional clinic or in-home setting. I agree. There really is. Well, maybe you can teach that, Kim. Just get ready. I I don't know if I'm the best, but I will. I'm passionate about it because... (laughs) You know, a lot of us that switch to these roles have been in education. And that's the only thing I know. You know, I was a teacher for 15 years before I switched to being a, you know, a BCBA. And that is, that's just what we know. It's, education is just, it's just a little bit different than sometimes what we're taught in our coursework and in our ethical code. But um, what is the biggest difference from you from moving from the classroom to this school-based role as a BCBA? I think there's overall so many like similarities. It's just a larger scale, right? Like you still have your, you're still involved in the IEP process. I mean, I was a special education teacher. I I never was a general education teacher, but um, I always, you know, work really closely with my gen ed teachers. 
But I think there's been, you know, with your with your paperwork, writing your IEPs, formulating goals, your instruction, like there is still so many similarities. It's just at a much broader, larger scale with the types of students you support, the number of students, the number of team members you work with. Um, and I always think of myself, I know Bill Hewitt and Janet Twyman did a presentation at the National Autism Conference a few years ago at Penn State, and they talked all about being a behavioral educator. And that is just what I consider myself. Like I still consider myself a teacher in so many ways and an educator in so many ways with just like more of a behavioral spin. Um, but it's, you know, it really is. I feel like once you'd make that transition out of teaching, you never really forget you were a teacher. And I mm-hmm. sometimes think you can notice the difference between some consultants. And I hear a lot of teachers talk about this too. Like you can kind of find those ones that are like, mm, you've probably never been a teacher before, or <laughs> you may have not been in education and have come from, you know, another field or, you know, another setting because you you just don't lose that, right? Like you're, yeah. you've gotten to teaching for a reason. You always keep that with you in one way or another. Um, and you just don't forget that. So I think, you know, I love that I had that experience first because I can be mindful of that. I can be empathetic when I'm consulting with teachers. I know what's on their plate. I can understand and appreciate their challenges and, you know, embed that a little bit more in how I'm supporting them. But there is definitely, you know, there's more flexibility. I can, you know, get here and there on some days sometimes where I get a little peace and quiet in my office and I'm just, you know, writing or I don't have students right outside my door at this time every morning. So (laughs) you might have some more flexibility in your day that comes with your day, like not being as predictable, which for some might be great. I like that switch up. I like going to different schools. I like, you know, meeting all these people that I've met. Um, working and collaborating with everyone that I have that I may not have gotten in with just my caseload teaching. Um, so it's definitely not as predictable. Your routine, your schedule is different every day, but you have some flexibility with that schedule. Um, so I do think the differences have really just been taking what you know as teaching and applying it to that larger scale with more people, all different you know types of learners different types of teachers and related service providers. I mean, I kind of look at what goes on in our field with this back and forth of, you know, some of the conflict in between disciplines and even within our own discipline. And I'm like, you, we've never even had that opportunity in education. You have to work with these people from all different backgrounds, from all different disciplines. You, You just, there's no way around that. And Mm -hmm. if you don't, and you're not someone who gets to appreciate other expertise, others' opinions, others' backgrounds, you know, their discipline, where they're coming from, their input, you will quickly find out that that student's going to start to struggle. Parents pick up on teams that are not really connected. So you get to collaborate with so much. And I've learned so much from the OTs, the SLPs, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, like vision specialist. Um, I'm forgetting so many people, but just so many different backgrounds and disciplines. I feel like I've grown so much because you learn so much from so many people that I may not have gotten with just, just teaching, you know, you work with a lot, but it's your caseload, it's your paras, you know, here you just get to do a lot more on a larger scale. And I think that's probably been, you know, 
a little bit of a difference in that it's just at a larger scale, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to think about it, you know, that it's just on this larger scale. And I love when you said, you know, that you're how valuable your experience as a teacher has been to your role now. And I hope, you know, teachers that are listening that are, you know, getting their BCBA or thinking about pursuing that really hear that because I, I so agree with you. And I agree that like, when you meet someone as a consultant, you can kind of know if they've worked in schools or not. Like you just, you don't forget some of like those hardships are like ingrained into your head of like, oh, nope, we can't just say, let's add another staff member. Like, yeah, right. Like, that's hilarious. Like, where's that staff member going to come from? Or like, there's just logistics rule the world in schools. And I think no matter what capacity you worked in a school, whether it's a para a teacher, or even if you were in another clinician before, you remember that. So moving into, you know, applying ABA strategies into the school-based system, you're kind of ready for that because it's like ingrained and it makes you so much more valuable in that role, having the teacher perspective as well. It really does. Like you're viewing the child more as a whole child and from, you know, a, you know, many different lens, I feel like, and it, and it really, it's really helpful. And And you can understand that you know, I might have a lot on my plate with, you know, the number of roles, responsibilities and the number of students, but I don't forget what it was like teaching and even more now about the number of emails you get, the different curriculums, you know, the the more and more you get thrown at you from the district or administration or things that need to change or new students starting tomorrow that you have no, you're not prepared for. You know, there, there's, there is so much and I don't forget that. And I think that really goes a long way when you're trying to connect with teachers and teachers are trying to connect with you, that you they really see you as a team and you're here to support each other when you can have that shared experience. Yeah. And I think too, I'm not going to lie, I will say another positive difference is when you were the main case manager, I'm sure you remember, for all of your IEPs throughout the year and you're running that whole meeting for every student, you know, you're going through the whole process, you're the one gathering all the paperwork, finalizing all the paperwork. It's definitely nice kind of sitting back a little bit and just doing your input. Like, okay, I've done my piece. Anyone have any questions? You know, I'll I'll stay here. I'll chime in throughout the meeting. I'm never one to leave a meeting early. I like to be there for the whole thing um, because there's, you know, things we can add everywhere. And I just think people feel supported when a teacher is not, you know, running it solo or with a couple people. But to be able to sit back and have some of that pressure off after you did it for so many years, I'm like, okay. This is yeah. a nice little change. I, I'm not going to do show. like 50 pages, just like a few here and there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's a good point. Yes. There's a nice switch up. So thinking about teachers that do have BCBAs in their district who, you know, maybe just don't have a lot of opportunities to, you know, communicate. I mean, I know a lot of districts, if they have a BCBA or, or several, it's it's not a lot, you know, and so you're trying to figure out the best ways to work and collaborate with them. What advice do you have for teachers on, on how to collaborate with their BCBAs? Yeah. And, and it really isn't a lot. And some people who might not be in school-based don't realize that even though it is be, I think becoming more popular and you're seeing a lot more school districts, hire BCBAs, there are many school districts that don't even know what a behavior analyst is or a behavior specialist is and don't have that role. And I recently went to a training for our state and out of 150 participants there for the FBA process, conducting FBAs, conducting plans. It was me and one other behavior analyst. Everybody else was a teacher, a counselor, a psychologist. So it's 
I think more common almost that you have other people that are not behavior analysts doing these assessments and writing these plans um, than it is still for behavior analysts to do them, For sure, which is kind of yeah. shocking when you think yeah. about how much coursework and training and knowledge and things on just human behavior that we have. A lot of people still that we're not the ones doing probably, you know, the most of it. So I try to remind myself when I'm feeling so stressed, I'm like, you know what? We still have a leg up. We've got four BCBAs here. We're disseminating a lot. We're doing a lot of professional development. I have to, you know, kind of remind myself that it's okay. Even when it feels like really stressed and people think they don't have a lot of support, we still have a lot more support and access to this information than some other people do in a lot of other districts. Um, So I think if you do have a behavior specialist or it's a new role, um, just I think the first thing I can say is try to be open and be an active listener. It is really challenging as a teacher. And I've been there. I've gotten defensive when people are telling me what I need to do differently. And it's been a long day. And, you know, you've just been teaching for three hours straight and you just got to go to the bathroom or get a sip of water. And now someone's telling you what you need to do. It's hard and you can get defensive. As much as you can be that active listener and listen to the recommendations or feedback, um, even if it's like corrective feedback, it really is there. We're there to you know, look at the environment and help you, which is going to help your learners. It's not to criticize and it should never feel that way. It's not to criticize. It's not to, you know, bring you down or, or you know, make you feel like you're a bad teacher. Because just like we talk about with our kids, I don't think there's bad teachers. I think there are bad environments, lack of supports, lack of resources, lack of training, that um, lack of time, all of those things that really affect how a teacher can, you know, run her classroom or be effective with her students. So just know that if, you know, if you have a behavior analyst and they're giving you strategies on things to do, maybe do differently in in your classroom environment or with your class-wide supports, that it's not to criticize and it's really just to um, you know, help your classroom, help your students and help your learners grow. If it comes across though, that it, you know, it isn't supportive because I've worked with plenty of outside BCBAs in meetings and they can be hard. They can be harsh. I've, I've had outside BCBAs tell me that I cannot recommend rubrics or partial interval data or things like that as goals because, you know, discontinuous measurement is not as effective as continuous. I'm like, you have not ever been in a school before, okay? <laughs> yeah, Getting a teacher to take- comments where you're yeah. like, okay, okay, Lisa. It, we got a teacher to have a behavior goal and behavior data set up, okay? This is yeah. a win. <laughs> you, yeah. <laughs> you're, so I've been on, I know that you may have some BCBAs that do come off that way or do come off really harsh speak up, you know, advocate for yourself in a professional way, why something might work, might not work for your needs, advocate for what you do need. You know, if a recommendation really doesn't seem reasonable, feel free to ask the questions. I much rather, I have people that apologize to me, like, I'm so sorry, it might seem like I'm disagreeing with you. I just don't know how this is going to work. I'm like, thank you for telling me that because I'd much rather, I want this to work for you. It needs to be reasonable. It needs to be manageable. I much rather us have that conversation than you just tell me you're going to do this. And in a month, I'm going to find out that nothing was ever done and you just kind of blew it off. So you have to, you know, speak up for yourself and also feel comfortable enough to have those professional conversations 
to come to some agreement that, you know, it's, it's going to be reasonable and manageable for you to implement in your classroom. Yeah, that's great advice. And you do have to stand up for yourself on that. You know, people that are giving you suggestions maybe don't understand all of the competing contingencies in your room. And yeah, just being like, okay, sure, isn't going to really be helpful for anyone. So that's really good advice. Oh yeah, gosh, and I, I feel think like I could like chat about this all forever. My God, I know like, <laughs> there's so much. I feel like you could chat about in school base that you know is is really something to celebrate and you know also challenging at the same time. I mean, I can. Tell I think just too though by... for. Oh, go ahead. Even for BCBAs, though, I know like tips for teachers, but for BCBAs, if you're in schools and you don't have that big teacher background, I just think it's so important to get to know your educators, your team of people that you're working with, have some grace, have some compassion, understand their competing contingencies, understand their circumstances. Just like we take that circumstantial view of behavior for our learners, our teachers, our, our um, school teams, those are our learners. So you have to you know, really understand their circumstances. They're probably burnt out. They may not have taken a bathroom break all day and you're here meeting with them at three o'clock or maybe they missed their lunch, they missed their prep. They might not be giving you resistance because they don't want to do it. They may just be lagging the the understanding or the skills or the resources or the time. So just really take the time to use your people and get to know your team and look at that whole child um, because it's really so important. And when you do that, you know, you start to see people will start telling you how valuable you are. They'll, they'll, They'll be approaching you so much with so many different things, not just problem behavior related that they want your opinion on. So just have some grace for those teachers because it is a tough, tough world out there right now in schools. <laughs> that's that's a really good point. And just, you know, like you said, just listening. Like I feel like mm-hmm. teachers don't really have that many people that are willing to listen to them. Like we all have our like, maybe you have a spouse or a roommate who's like super sick of hearing, yes, I know Johnny did this today, but like sometimes (laughs) it's just having, like if you're willing to listen to how hard the day was, like that's a great way just to build rapport right there. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Kim, thank you so much. I feel like we covered a ton and I, and I hope anyone that is kind of thinking about this path or on this path of going from, from teacher to school-based BCBA or is in that role already has, has learned a lot because there's a lot to think about and discuss. And I can tell just even when you talked about the challenges of this job, how much you love it, which is so great to see. And it's exciting that, you know, we're getting more and more roles and obviously things are going well, that organic growth of your, even within your district, seeing how well things are going, that we want another BCBA and another one. And that must be so exciting to see that happen, you know, over the last few years. I know it really is. It's, you know, it's it's neat to see when once that clicks and administrators and teachers like they really start to see your value, how quickly you can grow. I, I feel bad. I always say to my OTs, they've they've been sitting at two OTs in my district for a long time. And I'm like, we've multiplied and, and doubled BCBAs. I'm like, we we cannot hire another BCBA until you give them another OT. Like we <laughs> they need their people too. They're, you know, they're struggling and their cases are too big. But at the same time, you're like, okay, great. They see yeah. the value. And I, again, I just, I can't stress enough how important like that interdisciplinary collaboration, that transdisciplinary collaboration, when you connect, like that's hands down my favorite thing of being in schools is, you know, you, my, some of my best friends at this point are my SLPs, my OTs that we've 
become lifelong friends because we've appreciated each other's expertise, knowledge, background, and you really connect. And we've had so many parents like appreciate us at team meetings because they can see how connected we are. If you can get that with your teams in schools, like you really will see better outcomes for your students. You can't be on separate islands. You've got to be, you know, really together and, and appreciate each other and you'll do so much for your students. So yes, with the challenges comes a lot of celebrations and it, you know, if you are looking at exploring school-based, um, it really is, you know, it's a tough, but really rewarding, fun place, fun place to be. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kim. Where can people go to learn more from you? Sure. So I am um, on Instagram. It's Behavior Bender. I w- wish I could post a little more than I do, but, you know, I try to connect with a lot of people out there. So if you're, you know, interested in school-based BCBI or no more, feel free to reach out and we can connect. Um, we have connected with a lot of school-based people and we've shared a lot of resources. It's been really helpful. So I also just started a TPT account under Behavior Bender to share all of my professional development, all my PDs that I've done throughout the year on little different topics. I'm sharing them and getting them up there. I've had a lot of people ask about them. So for free or, you know, really affordable. So if you're, you know, want to do more PD in your building and you just don't have the time, um, you can check on there too and hopefully find something that'll be helpful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kim. I so appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you, Sasha. I appreciate you giving me this time and for everything you do for everyone as well. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.